Welcome back to Halfway History. I am your host, Jack Barabo, and today we're going to be talking about Assyria and her empire. Well, like most things in history, it's broken down into pieces, much like Egypt with the Old Kingdom, Middle Kingdom, New Kingdom. Assyria is also broken down into three periods, that being the Old Kingdom, the Middle Empire, and the Late Empire, but it is also known as the Neo-Assyrian Empire. So, today, I'm going to split it up and dive into each one of them individually. I'll start with the beginnings of the Assyrians and their capital city of Ashur and talk about the Old Kingdom, then move on to the Middle Empire, and then wrap it all up with the Neo-Assyrian Empire. And then their, of course, subsequential collapse. Well, just to get an idea of where the Assyrians are located, more specifically Ashur, Ashur is located in what is now northern Iraq, then Mesopotamia, along the Tigris River. Ashur was located northeast of Babylon, which, as we know, is located in southeast Iraq. The capital city, Ashur, is believed to be named after the god Ashur, or should I say deity, uh, sometime in the 3rd millennium BC, so a long time ago. And the same name is used for the people, which are the Assyrians. The Assyrian Empire is seen as one of the great military powers of the ancient world, if not world history, and is seen as probably the greatest Mesopotamian Empire. Although the city of Ashur existed from like the 3rd millennium BCE, the extent of its ruins only date back to 1900 BCE. And that was from its first king, at least recorded king, Tudoya, and those were f that followed him were called the kings that lived in tents, suggesting that it was more of a uh, nomadic people than a very centralized urban people, much a great contrast to the uh, Sumerians in the south with their cities like Ur, Uruk, and Babylon. Although the ruins only date back to 1900 BC, we know that it was an extremely important city in the Middle East, especially for trade, as it became one of the richest cities in the region. And the only reason we date it back to around 1900 to 1905 BCE is because that's when we find the oldest thing there, which is the Temple of Ashur. Although it was extremely important for trade, it became kind of its own identity in its own culture, which tend to happen with most Sumerian colonies. It even kind of became so independent that it formed its own trade colony, that of Karam Kadesh, also known as the Port of Kadesh, which is located in Upper Anatolia. And it became its most lucrative center of trade, if not the most lucrative center of trade in the Near East. Definitely was the most important city to the survival of the Asher city-state. The wealth that Karum Kadesh accumulated provided so much safety and stability to the people of Ashur that they could start investing in things like proper military and would honestly even lay the foundation for the rise of the empire and even the late empire. The Assyrian military would prove a decisive advantage in campaigns due to their iron weapons, which was a serious advantage in the battlefield. And everyone else had bronze, you know, it being the Bronze Age and all. 
The Assyrians and the Assyrian people definitely wanted to make their own culture, if not their own nation. And the best way to do that is to really have autonomy all by yourself. And even better, have no rivals. But early uh, Assyria's, Assyria, if not Ashur, did not have that uh, security. Well, we see in the north the Hayati, who were our friends from last time, who would later become the Hittites, and the Hurrians to their uh, southwest and southeast. And this was those were their main rivals, not only militarily, but economically. As time progressed, these civilizations tended to advance a lot more than Ashur did, and they even began to overshadow Ashur and became regional, if not at the time, world powers, where Ashur was just merely a mention. Then the Amorites started to migrate in. Much like the Aryans did in India, the Amorites are... Amorites, sorry, are really not well known. I mean, they kind of just migrated into the area. And they were slowly gaining power in Babylon. And over a hundred years, I mean, they finally... Uh, took control and even took the throne of Babylon following Sinmabuti and later his famous son Hammurabi who would conquer Assyria. Soon after Hammurabi's death though the Babylonian Empire pretty much fell apart. Assyria again gained its independence and asserted control over the power vacuum left behind by the Babylonian Empire. Well, if you know anything about history, massive power grabs typically aren't the best, and you have to be pretty lucky to get out, get through it unscathed, which the Assyrians definitely didn't, as a civil war then broke out. And stability really wasn't regained until Assyrian king Adasai, who reigned between 1726 and 1691 BCE, uh, was able to secure the region, and his successors continued on his policies, but were unwilling to expand the kingdom. After this, the period of time called the Middle Empire began. And we need to begin with some context. So, the vast kingdom uh, called the Mitanni Empire was basically northern Syria, southern Anatolia, and northern Iraq. And as they gained power, they subsequently took over the Assyrians and uh, the capital city of Ashur. Well, over time of just sitting there, their neighbors up north, the Hittites, as we mentioned last episode, got more and more powerful and decided to collapse the Mitanni Empire, pretty much making it a vassal state. And Assyria saw an opportunity in this. They saw a chance to expand. So, after getting influence in the Mitanni court, which was now mainly made up of Assyrians, they made their power move, and they basically took a big chunk of the vassal kingdom of the Mitanni Empire, which they then later annexed. This invasion took place around 1344 to 1322 BCE, and, well, the Hittites weren't a big fan of it. They weren't going to go down without a fight, so they decided to strike back, holding the Assyrians back until the king Ashur Ulbati I, who reigned from 1353 to 1318 BCE, defeated the remaining Mitanni forces under the Hittite commanders and took significant proportions of the region. Dare I even say, half. And fighting between the Hittites and the Syrians kind of just came to a stalemate 
until two kings later under King Adad Neri I from 1307 to 1275 BCE expanded the Assyrian Empire to the north and south, basically driving the Hittites out and conquering most of their major strongholds. I should also mention that King Adid Nari I was extremely humble, and through most of his reign, he wrote a large poem about himself. Yeah, as humble as it comes. Well, historians around do have to thank him for sure for writing down everything and keeping records of the letters he sent to the Hittites and other major powers, showing that they really didn't take him seriously until he started winning battles against them. After Adid Nari I completely conquered the Mitanni Empire, he began what would later become standard policy for the Syrian Empire, that of mass deportation and relocation. Yikes. So it comes to no real surprise that this is a morally questionable thing. You know, taking the residents of the Mitanni Empire, moving them to the other side of the empire, and then putting your own people there, you know, to reduce revolts. Which, to his own credit, did work. The people wouldn't have a connection to the land that they were on. You know, in the same way that in World War II, French resistance members fought against the Germans because, well, the Germans were in France. This is where we lived. But if you take the French people out of France and you move them somewhere else, they're not really going to be uh, fighting for France because they're not in what was France as they would have no connection to the land. Well, I'm not going to try to defend it. It is morally wrong, and empires that have done it before, doing it now, and plan on doing it in the future? I mean, history repeats itself. It's not right. It really isn't. But it worked. The one silver line you could pull out of these deportations would probably be that the deportees were like carefully selected based on talents and sent to regions accordingly. And not everyone was deported. I mean, those that fought were killed and sold into slavery, and those who refused to be deported were killed into slavery or sent to slavery, but some populaces weren't sent. Families were never split up, and all of those who were absorbed into the empire were seen as Assyrians and not foreign peoples. So later King... Tukuli Neruta I, who reigned between 1244 to 1208 BCE, had pretty much standardized how deportations went, with most literate and scholarly men sent to urban centers, and those who couldn't really do that were sent to places to work, such as farms. He also defeated the Hittites at the Battle of Nerea in 1245 BCE, which effectively ended Hittite power in the region, and sent the empire into decline. Yet, while he was conquering the Hittite provinces and pretty much putting them into a limbo state of death, pretty much, the city-states of Babylon and their subsequent nation would just raid against Assyrian territory, which King Naruto I responded with, with violence. So he basically started sacking and conquering the Babylonian Empire and its regions, even going to the point of sacking Babylon and destroying its infamous temples, which nobody liked, because the Assyrians and Babylon's 
I mean Babylonians, had pretty much the same gods. So that really didn't look good for the PR campaign. And then, you know what they say, two strikes you're out, I think. On his second strike, he built a new capital, renamed in his name, which I'm not going to try to pronounce, and basically spent all of the trade money on that capital instead of the old capital of Ashur. And everyone was like, you know what, let's kill him. So they killed him. And then his son, Ashur Naban Apil, took the throne. Following the death of Tukulindhi Nuita I, um, the Assyrian Empire pretty much fell into a period of like limbo, where it neither expanded nor declined. And this happened somewhere around 1200 BC, as that would come to be known as the start date of the Dark Ages, which is also the Bronze Age collapse, which surprisingly the Assyrians survived. We'll have to talk about the Bronze Age collapse in the next episode. Oops. Spoiler. A lot of people collapse, and so does the Bronze Age. But the Assyrians do not, and... They just stayed in this weird limbo period until the rise of Tigith Pileser I, who reigned between 15, I mean 1115 to 1076 BCE, and he really like revitalized the economy and the military through his, you know, campaigns. And just like any other renaissance or rebirth, there was a flourishment of arts and culture and surprisingly literature. I mean, this man went to serious lengths for literature. He went around into his neighboring provinces of Babylonia and the Hittites and took cuneiform tablets and basically copied them down. And as he would eventually put them in a library, which like most good things, eventually burned down. This then culminates into the Neo-Assyrian Empire, also known as the Late Empire, which is where Assyria mainly gains its reputation for being ruthless and very militaristic. Most people would compare the Assyrians to the Nazis in World War II and the Roman Empire, basically saying that they treated their people horribly and other people horribly, in their own mind having the idea of a master race. And this simply just wasn't true. The only comparison you could really put forth for the Romans and the Nazis comparing them to the Assyrians is the size and ruthlessness of their military. And by ruthlessness, I mean ruthlessly efficient, not in any kind of, you know, genocidal way. After losing some land, the rise of King Adad-Nari II, who ruled between 912 and 891 BCE, kind of brought a militaristic revival to the Assyrian Empire, and they definitely needed it. He even reconquered lands that were lost, including Abernari, which was the famous, later to be burned, library that Tegliath had put in place. They even defeated the Aramaeans, who were executed or deported to regions within the heartland of Assyria. He also conquered Babylon, but learning from their mistakes of the past, decided to leave the city and make it a powerful ally, which would become a ally instead of a problem for the next 80 years. The Assyrians also started to implement more scholarly uh, functions, even bringing scholars with them on their military campaigns to record new findings of people, cultures, languages, and local histories. 
it was quite something to see. Also, unfortunately, as the Assyrian Empire dragged along, equal rights for women, which was pretty much just a given in the uh, Middle East at the time, was mainly wiped out from Assyrian culture. And it directly correlates with monotheism in the Assyrian religion, mainly only worshipping Ashur. And Ashur was a huge piece of the Assyrian way of life. I mean, every time the military campaign went out, Ashur was with them. And no matter what you're doing, Ashur was with you. Ashur was the people's life. And he became not only just the one, like, a single deity, but became the deity of the Assyrians. Being that he was originally the deity of war, Assyria became a very a militarized society and just continued to expand its borders all the way up until 1627 BCE when the empire began to crumble and fall apart. And finally in 1612, Nevi, which was the new name for the capital, was sacked and burned by a coalition of Babylonians, Persians, Medes, and the Scythians, among many, many others. You know, when you expand, you tend to gain uh, enemies instead of allies. And the destruction of the palace and complete raise of the city pretty much spelled the end for the Assyrian Empire. They even went as far as completely burning down the library that held many of the Assyrian histories, and the ruins of Neveh were covered by the sands and laid buried for the next 2,000 years. The legacy of Assyria is really controversial. Some see it as the template of what a good empire should be, and it really became the template for all empires to come, the Romans, the British, um, anyone, you name it. But you could also look at it from an overly militaristic society that conquered most of the Middle East. I mean, heck, even the Greek historian Herodotus considered the whole of Mesopotamia Assyria, even though they weren't all Assyrians. They were just a melting pot of different cultures. And the, uh, the identity of being Assyrian still lives on today, especially among Christians in the Middle East. And really... Assyria is something that will always live on, and I think people will always remember Assyria. I'm just going to begin by apologizing. I know that I said that the next episode will be the fall of the Bronze Age, but this is the final episode in Season 1, The Old Civilizations. Season 2 will cover classical civilizations, stuff people are more familiar with. The Greeks the Romans, and, and that's pretty much it. It's not going to be small, though. I mean, I'll really be ramping it up. I will have some episodes dropping within the next few weeks. I'll have a Christmas special that'll be coming real soon, which I'll detail the roadmap even further. I mean, I know I haven't been getting a lot of listeners, but those that have been listening, thank you. And honestly, spread the word. If you think it's a good enough podcast, tell your friends. If you don't think so, let me know. Like I said, the Christmas special episode, I'll be going much more in-depth with what's happening and what I plan on doing with the series. So, if you got really excited for the fall of the Bronze Age, sorry, but I know I will definitely cover it eventually, just not next week, as... 
there's more pressing things that need to be addressed. If you want more, just wait until the Christmas episode. I mean, heck, it'll probably be out by the time you listen to this. And that's all for today. If you want to learn a lot more about the Assyrian Empire, I mean, just the Assyrians in general, better than I did right now, I'd recommend going to Epimetheus' video on the Assyrians, or even the TEDx video of Assyrians. It's a great watch if you want to get into this. Well, I'd like to say thank you for listening. My name's Jack Barabow, and this concludes Season 1 of Halfway History.